the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you, sir, and good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good to have you with us. Midpoint in the week. Hooray! And I hope it's been a good one for you so far. And if not, uh, look up. Thursday's coming, so we're edging closer to another weekend. And uh, as you um, head wherever you might be off to this afternoon, or maybe uh, maybe at home or still at the office, delighted that you've chosen to spend some time with us here today. We're going to try to kind of change things up a little bit on tonight's program. A little bit later on, Don Damon is going to join us. We've been involved in a multi-part series talking about how to kind of grow back from the impact of COVID. My, my, how that has changed so much of our lives, sadly, in some cases, irrevocably. But for those of us that have survived COVID or dodged the COVID uh, ball, so to speak, altogether, um, there's still a lot of aftermath of this experience that we've been through and continue in many respects to continue to go through. And I might say a word here before we meet our first guest tonight, that if you are one that's kind of done with it all, and I get that, and I think if we took a survey, all of us would agree, we're quite done with COVID. Thank you very much. Next major crisis, um, be mindful of this. While the vaccines have done a lot to slow the spread, they've certainly mitigated the more horrific aspects of COVID, meaning reducing hospitalizations um, or making sure if somebody does need to be hospitalized that they don't wind up in an ICU on a ventilator and eventually pushing up daisies, as the saying goes. Still, it's important to be mindful that COVID in its many forms continues to be a monster lurking in the dark. And I say from personal experience, not me directly, but from personal experience, you might be done with COVID, but don't think for a minute that COVID is done with us. So enjoy the warm weather, enjoy spring, enjoy getting back out and doing things that feel more normal, just be mindful that this monster called COVID continues to lurk in the background, and we need to continue to take it seriously. Because if we don't, it could have devastating consequences. Okay, that's my uh, 
soapbox speech for the day, and I'm sticking to it. Let me change chapters here and head into a subject matter that around the periphery has been in the news very much, the issue of gender, though in the current context, it relates more to confusion over gender, uh, gender and gender dysphoria. That is not the topic of our conversation tonight, but confusion over gender is. Now, before you say, well, Craig, wait a minute, you just told me it isn't. Let me explain. Society has a lot to say about gender roles, men, women, how we partner together when it comes to raising families and carrying on marriages and the like. And there's a lot of confusion out there, largely, I think, in some ways that the church has been contributory toward, let me pick my words wisely here, contributory toward in that we don't always delineate a true biblical perspective as to how this relationship between men and women ought to exist and coexist in such a fashion that brings glory and honor to God. My guests, plural, tonight have attempted to uh, reverse all of that by penning a new book called Jesus and Gender, Living as Sisters and Brothers in Christ. Joining me is the Director of Counsel from the Cross Ministries, Elise Fitzpatrick, along with her co-author, Associate Pastor of Grand Avenue Baptist Church in Ames, Iowa, Eric Shoemaker. Elise and Eric, welcome to you both. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you. Thanks, Craig. Eric, let me start with you. Why a book like this at such a time as this, particularly given the fact that there is uh, so much debate? The minute we even discuss or bring up the term gender, um, it seems to be a very politically charged word here. And again, not to confuse it with gender dysphoria, which is a whole other topic. Um, why, Why address this issue now? Why do you feel it's important? Well, I think you're right, Craig. The issue of gender certainly is a lightning rod in our society, and there is a lot of confusion about what it means to be a man and a woman. And and we think that, unfortunately, a lot of the discussions around gender and gender roles, so to speak, in the Church has, to be honest, often started in the wrong place. Uh, So often those debates and discussions either start with the question, who gets to be boss, who's in charge, who can do what, or they start with stereotypes that are often developed by our culture as to what it means to be masculine or feminine. And what we want to say is we want to go back to the Bible and look what the Bible has to say about manhood, womanhood, and we want to start with the person of Jesus Christ, because we think he's the perfect human being, he's God in the flesh, And he shows us uh, what it looks like to be a fully alive human being living to the glory of God. And he's the one that we as men and women are being conformed into the image of uh, through faith in in him. And so we we want our discussion that was starting with the gospel of Jesus Christ and emanating out from there to tell us what it means to be men and women. Let me lose an example, and uh, at least perhaps you can speak to this. Um, We often hear... Um, sort of the biblical context of uh, relationships between men and women. And and in many cases, though not all, but in many cases, it's usually distilled down to uh, women obey your husbands, 
Husbands, mm-hmm. love your wives as Christ loved the church. And, of course, many a man down through history has said, well, there it is in black and white. You have to obey me. And, of course, whenever I've heard that uh, quoted and often quoted out of context, I'm, I'm quick to add a little fuel to the fire by saying, well, wait a minute now. It's, it's a conditional two-part sentence. Obey your husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And let's think about that for a moment. Christ loved the church. Well, ultimately, Jesus gave of his life for the church. Wow. Now, <laughs> when you contextualize it that way, this discussion between male roles and female roles and how we ought to relate to one another, it kind of changes pretty dramatically in that context, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Thank you for uh, bringing that out. A lot of times that truth is missed, but yes, it really does change the conversation. And what we wanted to do was take uh, our cues from the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, the way he continually refused to get into conversations about who gets to be boss, and instead look at what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 2, which basically says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself and, you know, assumed the form of a man, became a, became a servant, even to the point of death. And so what we want to say is, the conversation about um, male roles, female roles in the church has really been centered on who gets to be boss. And that's not the question Christians should be asking, uh, nor is it where we should spend all of our time. Instead, what we need to do is have the attitude of Jesus Christ, which basically is that I don't want to... If Even if I think I have authority or power, that's not something I should exploit for myself, like, let's say, telling a wife, okay, well, the Bible says you need to obey. Instead, what I need to do is lay down my life in a voluntary humiliation, reciprocal benevolence, and mutual flourishing. And that, I think, Craig, is the... Uh, way of thinking that we really have that we really have missed and and, you know a real game changer in this too and and i think we we need to as always look at scripture within its historical context if you look at the life of ministry of christ on earth you'll notice that there were many women involved many women that were in roles of of helpmates in in significant ways and how interesting to note that even though at this particular phase in time phase in time that um, the the singular testimony of a woman was kind of disregarded in fact they wanted to have multiple women with the same report to be equal to the testimony of one man in a, in a court setting in a legal setting and yet isn't it interesting to note that the very first people to find the empty tomb weren't apostles, they weren't men, they were women. And I, and I think that that's something we kind of read over as we recently read the, 
the resurrection story here over Easter weekend, that maybe we kind of rush through that and think that, well, somehow God wanted to relegate women to a lesser of a role, failing to recognize, well, it is life that is born through women for all of us, and women played a very major role in Christ's ministry on earth. That's that's exactly true, and what's really interesting is the first people who were commissioned to go tell the apostles, John called them, these women, the apostles to the apostles, the first people who were commissioned to go preach the resurrection were women, not the guys, but the women. And so, you know, what we need to do really is not spend all of our time trying to figure out who gets to be in charge, but rather say, all right, let's look at the record. Let's see how Paul utilized women so often, calling them co-laborers, talking about their importance, and then let's say, all right, how can we lay down our lives for the purpose of the Great Commission? If you've just joined our conversation today, we're talking about a new book called Jesus and Gender, Living as Sisters and Brothers in Christ, newly released by Lexham Press and its co-authors, Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Shoemaker, with us today. We'll take a brief time out, dive a bit deeper into this topic, so fasten your seatbelts. We'll be back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And back into the conversation, Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Shoemaker, my guests tonight, co-authors of a new book called Jesus and Gender, Living as Sisters and Brothers in Christ. And so often it seems to be a a mix between a competition between the genders at some levels, and then, of course, in more modern times, a further distortion of these roles by seeming to either blend the two or nullify the two and suggest there's no differences whatsoever. But we're not interested in uh, the school of public opinion tonight, but rather what Scripture has to say about these roles and, and why it is important in all things that we use Jesus as the ultimate guide. Now, l- let me start with Eric. Eric, Guys listening saying, well, you know, emulating Jesus for me, that, that's, that's all well and good. But wait, did you just say that even women should be emulating Jesus? Isn't that confusing the gender roles? Well, I think, uh, you know, that we, it is often easy for men to say it's easy to emulate Jesus. And then, you know, a woman asks the question, well, who, who is my perfect example? Who's my perfect righteousness? And we, again, look at Jesus. He is... Uh, God in the flesh, and he came to live the perfect human life uh, without sin on our behalf. And as we're saved by trusting in his death for our sins and resurrection from the dead, God is transforming us into his image. And that means that if you want to see a picture of uh, what it looks like to be a mature Christian woman or a mature Christian man, you're going to look at the person of Jesus Christ, because that's, that's who we're becoming like. And, and, and that bears out. If, if you look through the New Testament and you see the commands to men and women about, about what it means to mature in Christ, to put on Christ, to bear fruit of the Spirit, uh, you know, these things aren't coming. These discipleship verses and the fruit of the Spirit isn't coming in masculine and feminine form. We're given the fruit of the Spirit, period, for both men and women to put on together as they glorify Jesus. 
Let's talk about ways in which we can begin to sort of change our thinking. And, and Elise, boy, for especially for married couples that have been together for many, many years, maybe for them, the only way that they know how to live is by kind of copying the role models they had as uh, growing up as children. And if there was a balanced, intact, loving relationship between mom and dad and, and the roles were indeed biblically based, that's probably a good thing. But sadly for at least half the country, that's just not the case. So how do we go about beginning this process of sort of reinventing ourselves and not only the way we see ourselves, but also the way we see each other in light of the years of, well, what do we call it, an awful lot of bad habits? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I did not grow up with uh, in, a, I, in a home where the husband and the wife um, served one another the way that a Christian husband and wife should. Um, but, and I have also been married for almost 50 years. And during that time, what the Lord has helped my husband Phil and I to see, and obviously neither one of us does it really great, as a matter of fact, probably not really wonderfully, but what both of us have, have really learned is that the reason that we are here in this relationship is to grow in Christ-likeness. So rather than saying, okay, what I need today is to have my way in this one particular situation. What I need to say instead is, how is the Lord working in my life right now to teach me to be more like Him, to teach me to give away power, to teach me to give away those things that I think should be mine in order to cause flourishing and growth in my husband's life? And, you know, that's not something, Craig, that we learn to do. No matter whose home we're in, we have to be changed by the Spirit over years as we learn not to live for our own, uh, you know, for our own desires, but instead to live for the flourishing and benefit of another, which is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus had authority. He knew that all life was in himself, and what did he do? He gave it away. And so what we're trying to do is just encourage people to reframe the discussion away from who gets to be boss, but rather, how can I be more like Christ in these relationships in the church and in the home today? And I like how you put it in the book. Um, and we've been kind of, you know, dancing around this in our conversation tonight, that in many respects, gender has long been a battleground for power, certainly in more modern society when post-World War II women were in the workplace, a lot of the, the roles out of necessity of what was going on with the war changed. And, and, and suddenly it, it became more of a competition instead of a harmonious relationship and I like how you put it in the book that God created men and women not to compete for glory, but rather to cooperate for his glory. Boy, that's a game changer if you change your, your thinking about that, isn't it? Well, it absolutely is, uh, Craig. You know, and, and you're right about how often gender has been a, a place of competition. And, you know, in Genesis 1, uh, God created 
man in his image, male and female, to exercise dominion over the earth for his glory. They weren't created, we weren't created to exercise dominion over each other. And and the reason there's two genders is the Lord said it's not good for man to be alone, that he would make a helper, an ally, someone to come alongside him, to cooperate with him uh, for the sake of fulfilling God's purposes and God's mission on earth. And so often we have turned that into a competition for who gets to be in charge instead of a cooperation for how we can flourish together and display the glory of our Creator and our Redeemer. Now, here's the, um, what do they say, the $64,000 question. In order for this to work, there really needs to be a sense of harmony. There needs to be a desire to surrender power, in a sense, or, or not to be competing for same, and, and to really look at the, the tip of that triangle being Christ as the leader and head of the household. And, you know, guys, especially, Eric, you can bear this out with me, not real good at kind of surrendering. We, we tend to kind of push back at that idea, you know, the alpha male in us wants to be uh, the, the, the top dog, the big cat, whatever you call it. Now we're saying, oh, no, you, you need to instead surrender and ultimately look at God's leadership as to who is going to be ultimately wearing the pants in the family, as the old saying goes. And for some guys, that's a difficult thing to do. How do we do that? And, 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 and how do we bring about a sense of agreement amongst both partners, both parties, that this really is less about us and more about him? This is about us working together and glorifying him in our relationship. Well, you know, it, we we see leaders all around the world, and we see evil dictators who they they hold on to power even to very old ages. And it, it strikes me that sometimes the only way that a person lets go of power is if they die. And and that's really what it comes down to is if I've been crucified with Christ, my life has come to an end, and now my life is found in Him. I'm no longer living for myself just as Christ uh, laid down his life so that we could have life. If, as long as I love myself as supreme, I will never be able to relinquish power and serve another. But if I have found the freedom that comes with being crucified with Christ and him living in us, uh, that will enable us to, to, each, to serve each other for, for his glory. The book, as we mentioned, is called Jesus and Gender, Living as Sisters and Brothers in Christ, newly published by Lexham Press. You'll find it through Bay Area Christian Bookstores. You can also order it, certainly, uh, online through Amazon.com. Elise, would you recommend, is, is this a book that ought to be read together and then discussed together or read separately and then coming back every now and then and checking in with each other? What's the most effective way in, in your mind's eye as the two of you sat down to write this book that it can be put to good use? Yeah, 
I, I guess it would depend on the relationship that you have. But, you know, I think it would be a really wonderful thing for husbands and wives or even people together in Sunday school classes in, in the church to uh, read a chapter together and then to say, okay, how does this strike me? Where do I have a problem with it? Why do I have a problem with it? And then seek to work out together um, the, the things that the Lord is teaching us about how to give our life away. Um, the point that I think of marriage, part of it, it comes to us from Genesis 2, where it says that uh, the man is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and then they are to become one. And so that unity is really the point. So as we would, let's say, encourage wives to read this uh, book together and then say, all right, so how can we find unity together on this particular topic? And to pray about it and ask the Lord to help you understand you know, from the from your spouse's way of thinking and also from the way of thinking that you know that you have because of your history or the way you've just been taught about how uh, men and women are supposed to relate to each other. Some really good insights. Hopefully we're going to hear you both on uh, Family Life Today one of these days soon. The book is called Jesus and Gender, Living as Sisters and Brothers in Christ. And uh, certainly an important one if um, there's a lack of balance in your relationship, or even if there is healthy balance in your relationship, but you'd like to become uh, closer together and far more effective at uh, glorifying God in your marriage relationship, this is a book you need to check out. Co-authors Elise Fitzpatrick, Eric Shoemaker, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Jesus and Gender, Living as Sisters and Brothers in Christ. 532 from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. There's a well-known comedian who used to talk about life and normalcy (laughs) and reminding us in very simple yet poignant terms that normal normal is a setting on your dryer. (laughs) That's about it. Boy, as we um, try to navigate our way through the back end of COVID, even as we acknowledge uh, for those of us with eyes wide open that COVID is still very much with us, very much uh, bringing a toll on lives, though fortunately not as severe as it once was. But nevertheless, trying to rebuild after two, two and a half years of this drama that has impacted the lives of ourselves, our children, our work relationships, and then, oh, not to mention what's happening in the economy. It just seems like every aspect of life, even going to church, has been upended. So how do we return back to a sense of normalcy? And, and, and especially so for people that are likely stuck looking back because they're lamenting, they're yearning for some of the things that they've lost, wishing that they could magically press a button and make it you know, January of 2020 again. So if we can't go backwards, what's left? Well, we can be stuck where we are, or we can learn to look forward. Let's get some insights now on that very topic. Don Damon joins us, best-selling author, in fact, award-winning multiple times author, founder of Braveheart Mentor Coaching, and uh, joins us now with some insights as we try to kind of uh, figure out this road back to, well, if not normalcy, uh, 
uh, Dawn, because I, I don't want to have to do any laundry here this afternoon, <laughs> at, at, at least back to some semblance of something that we remotely recognize. Hi, uh, Craig. It's good to be with you again tonight. And yes, I guess the phrase is we have to discover our new normal because, boy, we, we certainly do enjoy normal. We don't like interruptions. We don't like disruption, of course. And yet as a Christian, I really have to hang on to the hope of Isaiah 43, where God says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. I'm going to do a new thing. So trusting and believing that God always has that next new fresh thing available for us. We've not lived our best days yet. It's tempting, isn't it, to look back and say, oh, for the good old days. And I, and I, I'm right there with the best of them that say, man, I don't recognize this world right now. But we got to trust and believe, and I do, that God has got greatness in store for us. We just got to keep our eyes on Him. You know, Scripture tells us in another context, my people perish for mm-hmm. for lack of knowledge and for for lack of foresight, lack of vision. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I wonder how applicable that is in this case. I mean, it's one thing to say we long for the past, to acknowledge that it's going to be very difficult to get back there. And so then people end up, I think, oftentimes get stuck in a rut because the ability to be forward thinking, to, to envision life in better ways in the future is something that we don't often have a lot of a very big skill set with. Totally, and we do have to have that vision that you're speaking about. Vision is the engine, if you will, that pulls the rest of the train. Vision is the rocket fuel that blasts us forward. If we don't have a vision, one version says, we cast off restraint. We just tumble around like a tumbleweed. We just, we have no definite purpose and without purpose then there's no fulfillment and so whatever you wherever you find yourself right now in this this life trust and know that there is yet a god willing tomorrow ahead of you and guess what we have a lot of determining voice in the direction of our future we are not victims we are not just put up the white flag and surrender and say whatever's going to be is going to be. No, we still have to stay in charge of our lives and choose the direction of our lives and blueprint and co-create the life that we believe that God wants us to live. Despite all of the circumstances around us, we're still on mission and we have to be very clear about that. And I, and I believe that God wants to bless the person who can see with the eyes of faith that there is yet a beautiful future ahead of me. And is this something that's that's limited to just certain age groups? And I, and I ask that question because oftentimes people will say, well, Don, you don't understand. At, at my age... I feel like I've lost so much momentum over the last couple of years, 
And, uh, you know, it, it, it slowed my capacity being out of work to contribute to my 401k. And I'm, I'm so close to retirement. And I'm kind of looking at life, you know, uh, through the rearview mirror. So trying to think about being upbeat and looking ahead or uh, figuring out how to move forward and have a sense of, of vision for the future. Well, that, that's just my, my, my time has passed. What do you say to a person? that's carrying that kind of attitude. Yeah, I definitely understand that, and I I can sympathize in some ways with that, but my prayer is that that I would never become that kind of of person, if I could say it this way. I, I believe we cannot stop fighting for what we want, because when we stop fighting, we will have a life filled with everything that we don't want. And I believe that many people quit living long before they leave this earth. And I don't believe that that is a scriptural uh, way of living. In fact, retirement, I could get into some dangerous territory here, but retirement is really not even a biblical concept. And so I would really encourage the person who thinks that all they can remember is how it used to be, and now they're just kind of, you know, sitting in a chair, biding time. And you know, I would in, I would encourage someone to say, let's let's look at it holistically. How is your health? What can we do to reverse that aging process and to restore some health to you? And boy, you know, Craig, we could get in a huge conversation about nutrition and food and exercise and all of those things, but it, it really, I do understand it because I am beyond mid middle age now. I understand it. We get tired. We slow down, but the, but the mindset has to remain fluid and open and never-ending education and improvement and always hungry for that. If we let that slip, we will go down that slippery slope that you talk about. I don't believe that that's what God has for us. I truly do not. We're visiting today with Dawn Damon, founder of Braveheart Mentor Coaching. We're talking about the challenge of how to begin the road back, especially if you feel stuck, and your your sense of future casting or future vision uh, is maybe hampered. Maybe the bigger issue here for you is you're just scared. Dawn, can you stay with us for a couple of more minutes? Yeah, sure. I'd love. Let's do this. I I don't want to interrupt your response. Let's take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of the conversation with Don Damon as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to the conversation, Don Damon, our guest tonight. We are talking about how to get unstuck, and um, particularly for those I think. Dawn, that have been through the horror of the last couple of years, maybe even lost friends to the pandemic, and so much of life has been turned upside down. There's either going to be the group, as we talked about before the break, that are kind of looking at where they're stage and where they're at in the stage in life, and maybe feeling a little bit defeated. And then there's other people that are just downright fearful. Dawn, if I step out again, if I start to dream dreams again, what happens if those two get? get crashed down. I'm just, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think fear is the biggest pandemic that we're facing right now. I know that anxiety is triple in depression has doubled. And so we are very much in a society where people are paralyzed by that fear. Once again, I would uh, submit to us that fear is not just an emotion, but it is also a spirit. And, and it is a, an entity that is uh, sabotaging God's people and coming at us kind of in a warfare type of a way to keep Christians silent, keep us paralyzed, keep us bound, and keep us squandered our life, uh, prohibiting us from living our fullness. And so we know in God's Word, He says, you know, in Second Timothy, I'm not giving you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So Craig, I believe that it's a mindset. And so the, one of the things that we have to do in this life right now, if we're struggling with fear and the anxiety, is get a hold of our thoughts. Our thoughts are our future us. It's the future you. And so our mindset has to get in alignment with what God's Word says, not what we're hearing on the news, not what is all around us, but what God says. And, and so in a place of prayer, get, get in quiet with God, get that journal and write down what you feel God saying to you, but getting our heart and mind set free from fear and then taking some sort of courageous action. We've got to take baby steps to move out of that place of paralysis. So for me, I still have my vision board of small things written and posted by pictures so that I can have a daily reminder that this has come to pass, not to say I've got to keep moving forward. And that's so critically important because if we don't, we wind up getting stuck. And that tends to have kind of a cascading impact on the rest of life, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it is that domino effect. And just like we're thinking about, you know, when the when our mindset goes bad, our thoughts go bad, depression sets in, depression or anxiety sets in, we stop moving our bodies, we stop moving our bodies, and then we start getting, living a very small life because we can't do the things that we used to do. So it is, it's all connected together. And I would love to see people, anyone listening to this tonight, you know, that wait on God, go before him, but get ask God for a picture, get a vision, get clear on how God wants you to live because vision puts you in charge of your life because someone's going to tell someone's going to be in charge of your life must better be you than someone else. If you don't have a vision for your life, trust me, others will set the agenda for you. But vision can mute the distraction of a very loud world and really give you focus to hear and to know what your mission should be, your assignment from God on this earth. And and does that extend to every aspect of life? In other words, it's not just what I want to accomplish in my career or the success in raising my kids? I mean, how, how far and, and, and broad is that sense of vision casting should it be? Yeah, I love that you asked me that question. For me, there are like seven domains of my life where I want to have a vision for. A vision for my marriage, a vision for my relationships, 
obviously a vision for my calling and my purpose. What has God called me to do? What is my purpose? I want a, a financial vision. What? How do I want to retire? Not that I believe in retirement fully, but you know what I'm saying, this next area of my life. And so a vision for my health and my body and what I want to be able to do and a vision for my career or for my job. So God wants us to, I believe, again, holistically, for us to have a vision about everything in our life. He wants to so fulfill us that we should be really aware, even even a vision for your recreation. It's okay to dream and believe about travel and doing things and hobbies and pushing yourself. Jesus came to give us life and that more abundantly. And I don't want to stop living before I die. I want to I want to live I want to leave empty. Like I just got completely wrung out and I believe that many people feel the same way and and would like to believe that we can live with that kind of intentionality in our lives. Certainly we can. And to get started, for people that are just stuck and we've all been down this road, we've got great intentions of cleaning out the garage and I open the garage door and I stand there for about 20 minutes and I poke through a couple of piles and then after a while it just seems to be so daunting that it's just a lot easier to go back inside and put the baseball game on <laughs> to tackle yeah. this. And, and I'm sure a lot of folks right. feel that way in, in other arenas of life. How, how do we kind of kickstart this? Right. Well, first of all, I want to say that, you know, your self-esteem goes up dramatically when you do those projects in the garage versus when the baseball game is over. Because when the game is over, you're going to feel guilty. But when the garage has been cleaned to some extent, your self-esteem is going to grow. So motivation comes after action. Take some baby steps. The Bible says steady plotting brings prosperity. Slight edge, baby steps, easy to do. It's easy not to do. But if you'll just do a few things, you watch that and motivation begin to climb, that self-esteem begin to climb, and you're going to feel motivated again to complete that task. But I like to say also, you know, how we take pictures and we frame them and we look at the past, I'd like to say frame the future. Get a snapshot of something that can pull you forward. Because no one likes to be pushed, but vision pulls you. So get a vision board. Put some things down that you're believing for. Yes, it's scary to dream again, but it's more scary not to live with a dream. That is horrific, the thought of it. To start small, get a journal, write it down. If you think it, ink it. Put pen to paper, (laughs) but... Start small, and that's how you eat an elephant, one bite at a time. And I like to say, inch by inch, everything's a cinch. But do one thing every day to move the needle forward. And I think that's important and a critical note to end on because, you know, even though COVID seems like it came in one fell swoop, one big punch, it was actually a series of small punches that kind of culminated and and grew one upon another 
And so if getting into this mess, so to speak, felt like, you know, being pecked to death by geese, like a friend of mine used to say, uh, then realize getting out of the funk that you feel that you're in is going to need to be done in stages. And so uh, I guess looking at this in bite-sized chunks, as you say, if you can think it, write it down, and and celebrate the small victories along the way that eventually all culminate toward that bigger and grander goal. Exactly right. And again, just remember that action produces motivation. Don't wait for the motivation. Get up and get moving. Take a walk. In fact, and I know that our time is gone, but getting your body moving, changing your physiology will actually open up the creative juices in your brain gets that dopamine running, and you'll be amazed at how much better you'll feel. So get started doing something. Don Scott Damon, a look at how to uh, kind of break some of those ties that bind, engage in vision, and begin building once again toward a brighter tomorrow. Don Damon, we appreciate the time. Information on the web at Don, D-A-W-N, Don Damon, D-A-M-O-N, Com. Six o'clock from KFAX. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.